Well, good morning once again. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and uh, so good um, to see all of you and welcome you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you before, I uh, will look forward to an opportunity to do that. Um, and I want to take just a moment to uh, thank so much um, our, uh, our media and tech team that have been um, spending much of their last week here, <laughs> um, uh, making sure that we could uh, be here and have a space to gather and that you could hear my voice. Hopefully you can hear me and it sounds uh, okay. We had a little bit, um, that's a challenge. It's not just, it doesn't just happen. You should know. These guys work uh, a lot of hours and hard to make that possible. Um, we are back to our study of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 6, and so um, if you want to turn there, if you didn't already uh, get a chance to do that, as Mason read, and um, picking up in the Sermon on the Mount where we have been uh, working our way through, it's our practice here, if you're a guest here at City Church, to just sort of work our way through books of the Bible, sections of text, and so we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' uh, teaching to us, and what Jesus is establishing through the Sermon on the Mount, it's early in his ministry, he has uh, grown up now, taken on his ministry, and one of the very first things that he does is he gathers these new disciples to himself on a hillside, and he preaches to them, teaches them of the kingdom of God, welcoming them and telling them this is what citizenship in God's kingdom looks like. And so through the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5, he essentially informs them of what that is and how they become, how we become citizens of God's kingdom. And then in chapter 6, he transitions to speak and teach on how it is that that changes the way we live. Because we are citizens of God's kingdom, because God knows our uh, us and cares for us, we are called to live in a certain way and in, in such a way that that honors him, and so chapter 6 is really all about that. As we broke before, just the week before Easter, at the, um, the verses that preceded 25, where we begin this week, Jesus has been teaching on wealth and money, and his last words on that, in that section of teaching is from verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he is establishing this reality that we cannot serve two gods. And we know that to be true. And it's just, it's, if we go through life, we know that if we try to sort of keep our toe on one side of the fence or ride the fence, that never works out very well. That's always going to cause challenges. Our hearts are either going to be shifted to one side or the other. We just don't have the capacity to worship more than one God. And so he's in dealing with wealth. He is essentially saying and teaching us as he worked through that section that we cannot allow ourselves to become consumed with keeping our wealth, preserving our wealth, building our wealth. As he turns to this section, we're now going to receive, in a sense, the counter to that argument, which is if we don't have that or if we're concerned about wealth, we can also not become consumed with how we are going to get things, how we're going to achieve something, how we're going to provide for ourselves, care for ourselves. Both of those things are conflicts within our hearts living for the kingdom. This is why he says, beginning in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. My mom would tell me all the time, she'd talk to me and we'd have conversations. She'd say, I'm nervous about this or I'm, I'm a little worried about this or I'm, I'm really so scared about this. And there's always these our conversations. She's telling me something, not all the time, but that was a regular conversation. She would just kind of tell me the concerns of her heart. And then she would proceed to tell me that she was not a worrier. I was, 
Did you hear your that I my mom and I went round and round over that mom you've got to stop worrying so much so much anxiety and I, I don't worry about it I trust God but mom you're nervous you're up, you're worried you're concerned you know all these but I'm not a worrier I don't know if that's you but I think we all have that to a certain extent my mom was not alone even myself but this word that Jesus uses where he says therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life is a powerful word and it's something that we have to take seriously do not be anxious. The word here that is translated as anxious could also be translated or a broader or kind of help to us understanding what Jesus is saying there is unduly concerned or overly concerned. Therefore, I tell you, do not be overly concerned about your life or unduly concerned. Don't allow your life and the preservation of your life and all that you think is kind of found within that to become such a focus for you. Jesus isn't telling us here, by the way, he's not telling us that we can't ever worry about our life or think about our life or that those things should not ever cross our minds. He's just saying that we cannot become anxious about them. We cannot allow those things to cause us to become overly concerned. He's telling us those things will carry weight. And I love the practical teaching of Jesus here. Jesus knows what we will be tempted to do. Again, if he's dealing with wealth, he knows how we will be tempted to think that our wealth is going to sustain us, going to care, provide for us, and we've got to do all that we can to hoard it and keep it so that we can continue to live. And Jesus, here it's some people believe that he was essentially now turning to those who might be in poverty or poor um, in, a, in an earthly sense and saying to them, if you don't have so much, don't find yourself being consumed with trying to get it all because, again, that also is not the focus. You can, be, you can think about those things. It's not sinful to be wise, to be concerned, to think through how we would steward our lives. But allowing ourselves to become consumed, which is so often our temptation, is where Jesus' instruction comes and hits us. We cannot serve two masters. We can't serve God and then try and turn around and serve attaining or keeping ourselves alive. This is what comes with worldliness. Jesus ultimately in all of this section is, is warning us, trying to push back and challenge us and saying, don't allow the world to consume you. Yes, we know Jesus' instructions are clear that we are not to be of this world, but he does know that we live in the world. And as we live and operate in this world, we've got to navigate it and do all the things. We've got to wake up in the morning, go to work, go to school, do our jobs, care for our families. He knows all of those things. But if our eyes are taken away from him and we become so consumed with this world, this is what he is trying to guard us against, protect us against. If, there, if you aren't consumed with preserving your treasure and building it up, more than likely, you might be consumed about attaining a treasure or finding it. How often, look at all of the reality shows that are built on treasure hunting, finding it, trying to figure out. Look at how often when the lottery comes out, as soon as it reaches that mega, multi, blow it up, kind of, I don't know what the right term is, but whatever that is, we all run to buy our tickets because we're thinking, this is the chance for me to get some wealth, to get to a place. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about those things. Jesus is attempting, I believe, through this text, what he's doing like we often do with our children. I don't know if you've ever done this, but when they're all over the place grabbing us by our face, pulling us close and saying, look at me. 
Keep your attention on me. I have something to tell you. And if you'll keep your focus on me, if you'll stay attentive to me, everything will work out. Again, not telling us we can't think about our lives, not telling us we can't be concerned and have questions and think of those things, but in faith, not to become consumed. I don't worry so often about food or drink. I just sort of wait for it to arrive, right? You can tell, food especially. (laughs) Jesus is going to use illustrations from creation, birds and the lilies of the field. He's saying, yes, we think about these things, but again, we can't become consumed. Three times Jesus uses this language. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. We see it there in verse 25. Do not be anxious about your life. In a sense, he is telling us just generally on the broad scale, don't be so consumed with your own life, preservation of your own life. He then in verse 31 gets more specific. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He gets very specific here to the things. Those things, and then as he's speaking about these specific things, you and I, again, more than likely, we don't find ourselves probably asking the question, what will I eat or what will I drink or what will I wear? But there is something that you would fill in the blank. What will I do in this scenario? What, will, what, what keeps you awake at night? What are the things when you lay down your head on your pillow, you're, you're just constantly churning over and over and over and in your mind? Achievement, relationships, getting this or that. Jesus is saying, specifically, don't allow those things. Don't be anxious of those things. And then, in verse 34, he says it one more time. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. And he begins to turn his attention to our future. And how often do we find ourselves consumed about our future? Students in the room, I know that there's a lot of pressure upon you to constantly be thinking about your future and having plans for your future and knowing where you're going and all of those sorts of things. And some of that's put on you by your parents and uh, those that love you. But Jesus' word to us all, and specifically as I'm thinking to you, I want you to know you don't need to be anxious about your future. You have a God who loves you and holds your future in his hands. And so as we think of these things, Jesus emphasizes these things three times. I say this all the time in our church. If Jesus says it once, we should pay attention. But when he says it three times, it's like, wake up. I'm here to tell you something. Focus. Do not be anxious. Don't allow yourself to become consumed with this world and all that this world has to offer. As we think about this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. As Jesus addresses life, the first thing that we have to remember is who gave us life. Think about what it means to worry about our lives. Jesus, as he instructs us here, he's calling us to remember the source of our life. Are we alive because of the food that we eat? Are we alive because of the drink? Are we alive because of the clothes that we wear? Are we alive because we achieve this thing? Are we alive because this relationship is good or bad? Are we alive because of whatever those things are, again, that cause us to be anxious? Is that what keeps us alive? The answer is no. Yes, we need food and water to live. That's not what makes us alive. What makes us alive is God, the sovereign God of the universe. God is who woke each and every one of us up this morning. 
And as we look to God, if we keep our focus on God, and he is, Jesus is calling us to remember that God is the one who gave you your life. Before this world was ever created, the psalmist says that God knew you. In your mother's womb, he saw you. He had a perfect plan for you. God gave you your life and is the sustainer of your life and is sovereign over your life. So as we think about the silliness of trying to be anxious, as Jesus will say, as if we can do anything to change our future or whatever, we need to remember, the first thing we have to remember is that God is the giver of life. I don't do many things well. I don't like to prop myself up as figuring it all out. I am the chief among sinners, as Paul would say. But I'll tell you this, this is one area in my life where God has helped me and sustained me and given me some sense of victory and, and, and it, it has propelled me in my day-to-day activities. Every morning, as soon as my eyes open, or more often even before my eyes open, that's a little bit of a slower process for me when, my, when I regain consciousness, <laughs> I think to myself, I remember, I thank God for giving me life today. The only reason that I'm awake, I'm alive, is because God said it should be so today. Tomorrow is not promised to us, and if God doesn't intend for me to live tomorrow, I won't wake up. And I remember that every moment, as soon as I wake up, as soon as I think, I thank God, I remember, God, this is a day that was not promised to me. It's a gift from you. And as I remember that, as I regain that perspective, as I start my morning, start my day with that perspective, that thought in my mind, it helps me to realize how I am to live and to keep my attention on the right things. Because God gave me life today, because God is the sustainer of life and God is sovereign over my life, I can now say I give. it's a gift. I'm going to steward. I'm going to try my very best to use this day for your glory. I'm going to try to do all that I can. So often, I think, when I don't do that, and this is where, again, as I said, this is a process for me, but I used to wake up and immediately reach over like we all do, grab that beautiful alarm clock with a shiny screen, go to my calendar, think about all the things that I have to do, all the the things I've got to accomplish, the tasks that I've got to achieve, all those sorts of things, and just immediately I would just jump into my day as if, that is going to, that's the focus. And I forget to remember that God is the one who gave me life. And guess what happens when that is the case? I forget and I begin my day and go throughout my day so often absent of this mindset, absent of realizing God gave me the life. God gave me the day. God has given it to me and so now it is his and my life is to be used for his glory. So we must remember, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And Jesus is saying that our Heavenly Father gave you. And He gave it to you for a purpose. And it's not that you would be wrapped up and consumed, overly or unduly concerned about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. He's going to provide for you. Jesus then says, as He continues and He gives these three Sections 25, 31, and 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about your, li- your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body. Or again, specifically in verse 31, do not be anxious about your life. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? All of these things become consuming. 
And we begin to wonder, we begin to, or, or can be tempted to think that we are the ones who will provide, that we are the ones who make our lives happen. Jesus gives us an illustration here. And he uses two illustrations from creation to help us understand why we, should, we can and we should trust God and keep our focus on God every day of our lives. Verse 25, excuse me, verse 26, after these questions about being anxious. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And then if we skip down into verse, thir- uh, excuse me, verse 28, in the middle, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? He gives us these illustrations about provision and how we can trust and know that the one who gave us life will also sustain us and provide for us and meet all of our needs. The birds have food to eat. They did nothing to cause that. They don't do anything to create that food for themselves. And yet, in God's kindness, they have food to eat. The lilies also are clothed. He uses the illustration of Solomon here. If you're not familiar with Solomon, Solomon was the, is referred to as the wisest man who ever lived, one of the wealthiest men who ever lived. He had all that this world could have to offer. And God says, Jesus says here, that the lilies, the flowers that you can see in our cafe left over from last Sunday morning, those lilies are more beautiful and are clothed in a greater array than Solomon and all that he had. He owned the world, and yet the grass of the field, the lilies of the field are more beautiful or more precious than even he. If these two illustrations from creation, Jesus is saying, remember, look at how small those things are, how sometimes insignificant they are, and God cares for them. Now, I know we're all thinking this and wrestling with this. Probably you're asking yourself, well, yeah, they are cared for, but they don't have to do anything. Exactly. They don't have to do anything. The Lord provides for them in a different way. This is why Jesus has to teach on it, because our provision, how God provides for us, how God meets our needs, gives us food to eat, gives us water to drink, provides for clothing. He allows us to be involved in that process. It's different. But God is no less sovereign over our lives than he is the birds or the lilies of the field. He is over all of them. All of creation. And what Jesus is getting to here is that we are the pinnacle of that creation. We, his children. Notice how he references God here. He says, I tell you, if God clothes the... Or excuse me. In verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Your heavenly Father. Jesus points to the Heavenly Father, to God who provides and cares for us. Yes, the birds don't do anything and they're provided for. We have to work. God gifted us with the capacity and the ability to work and to toil and to do all that we do so that we can provide. And that's why I say the birds get seed and we get steak because we get to be involved. 
But we can become tempted because of our involvement. We can become tempted to think it's all up to us. Isn't that the way of our hearts? And as you know, we step into life and we begin to take on challenges and provide and this responsibility, it can become our focus. What should be a small piece or one portion of our life, one aspect of our lives, we struggle. In our sin nature, we struggle to keep things prioritized. We struggle to keep them in the right compartments. And Jesus is reminding us, it's your heavenly Father that provides for you. He is the one who meets your needs. And this is the amazing thing. The animals and the plants and all of creation are cared for. And he says, if your heavenly Father meets their needs, how much more will he provide and meet your needs? Jesus highlights here the smallness, the detail that God gets to as he cares. See, most of us, we think of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, and we think... Well, they just survive. They just, nature just sort of is kind of taking care of itself. We need to remember that there would not be another lily on the face of this planet ever again if God did not give it life. The birds would drop out of the sky in a moment's notice if God, the sovereign of the universe, didn't say, keep flying. And if God does that, sustains all of them in the smallness of that, and he reaches down into those detail, how much more does he care for us? And here's the beautiful thing. Our God is big enough to care for each and every lily of the field around the whole globe and also knows the number of hairs on your head. And he cares for you. And he meets those needs. He is big enough to do all of it. This is what Jesus is trying to help us see. We have and we serve. We have a big God, a heavenly Father who cares for us. And he's so big that he can take care of what we might say is insignificant a little flower in a field, or a bird in the air. And he can also, because he is that big, he can care for whatever is causing you to be anxious, whatever is causing you to lose sleep at night. God is big enough, and he cares enough. These things are not insignificant to him. These things, the lilies of the field, the grass of the field, it says, will be tossed into the fire be thrown away at a moment's notice. They'll be gone. How many of you remember the last time you saw a bird? Maybe if it was a cardinal, you took a picture because we're in cardinal nation. But probably you can't think of it. Or the last time you looked at a lily, unless you were in our cafe this morning and saw those beautiful lilies in the windowsill, more than likely you're going to struggle to even picture a fly. Those things are insignificant, and yet God says, I care and provide and make sure each and every one of those little things has life, how much more does he care for you? The pinnacle of his creation, his son, his daughter, you matter to God. And because of that, we don't have to be anxious. This is why Jesus then asked the question in verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? Jesus simply asks you, when is the last time it worked? When did your anxiousness, when did your undue concern over a particular 